this morning we're going to talk about the reason. We're going to talk about Christmas and what this time of year is all about. Because, you know, I would think that there are a lot of people who don't know about Christmas. Now, there's a lot of people who know, oh yeah, it's Santa and you get presents and you eat more and people bake and all these different things. But we're going to look at, you know, the real reason. And there are a lot of traditions and all kinds of stuff during this time of year. And they're fun, you know. And, but are they part of the reason? And, and I, I know this, Christmas lights on homes... Uh, baking. I mean, who doesn't like to, well, maybe there are people who don't like to drive through neighborhoods and see them lit up, and then you wonder who that Scrooge is that doesn't, no, I'm just kidding, because I'm that Scrooge this year. Don't have, I had to have my house painted because the hailstorm, and so they just finished, and I thought, ah, oh, should I put up lights? Maybe I'll do the red and white, the red and green one, you know, on the porch light thing, but Anyway, but baking, decorating, family and friend time, extra time off of work, all this stuff, you know, don't people like this? And it makes for something during this time. But, you know, one character I passed over, and I want to go into detail, you know, what is this season about, you know, and we look at, there's two big figures or things that happen, gift-giving is a big thing, and that guy in the red suit, Santa, you know, and there are a lot of traditions and trees and stuff like that. I mean, I have a tree, but it's a fake one, but it looks really cool, but driving into Home Depot the other day or the other evening and driving out or walking out, you smell all the fresh Christmas trees, you know, and it's there's just something about the whole season that is, to me, really cool. And But not all of them are for the real reason to me, but they're part of what makes the thing what it is. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this and praying and getting ready, you know, Hollywood is in the United States. We created a lot of the Christmas movies, and there's always snow and, you know, different things like that. But I thought, man, if you lived in Australia, you know, they're in their summer right now. So what if they had control of Hollywood, and what would Christmas then look like? Makes you think. Well, not me. No, it does. I thought... You know, there are so many traditions to me. I mean, I remember growing up, coming into the Christmas season, you always watch certain things on TV. They would come on, and that was part of Christmas. You know, you looked forward to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. At least I did. And, you know, all these different things. And, you know, we, we were taught, you know, or we saw Santa. Little kids talked about Santa. What about this legend of Santa? And so I want to talk about some of these things and then talk about the real reason for Christmas or, to me, why I celebrate Christmas. The legend of Santa and gift-giving literally traced back to a monk named St. Nicholas 
It is believed that Nicholas was born sometime around 200 AD. So, you know, 1800 years ago, 1700 years ago, near Myra in the modern day Turkey. And he was super admired people because of his piety and he was super kind. Uh, St. Nicholas became the subject of legends, you know, because there are kind of rumors that went around of different things. Some are documented, some are not, and, um, or written about him. And he inherited a great wealth, and he gave it away. And a lot of those early saints would do that. You can read about that in the Bible. People had great wealth. They would just give. And he did that, and he traveled the countryside giving to the poor. One of his best-known stories about him was that at a certain time, he uh, ran into three poor sisters, you know, and a father was going to literally sell them off into slavery and would have been turned into probably prostitutes at the time. And so he gave the father money for a dowry so that those girls could end up getting married. And so there was like, you know, these stories about this guy, a genuine guy who Christian roots, you could say. But over the course of times, Nicholas's uh, popularity spread and uh he became the protector of children and of sailors. It's wild how this guy who was, you know, serving God at one time, all of a sudden the story starts changing. Uh, There was a feast day celebrated on the anniversary of his death in December. This was traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases and get married. So, you know... December 6th is the day. But by the Renaissance time, you know, after the Dark Ages, uh, Nicholas was a super popular saint in Europe. And during the Reformation, uh, you know, veneration or great respect of saints, you know, and the worship of saints was was discouraged. But St. Nicholas maintained this super popular... Uh, thing, especially in Holland. And so people, you know, looked to him and liked him and, and the Dutch families that were there that came to the United States brought this tradition of the feast for St. Nicholas with them to New Amsterdam in the early American colonies and began in about the 17th century. And here's where we go from, you know, St. Nick they referred to him as Sinterklaas. So if you want to know how the early he was Sinterklaas, and that, that name became Santa Claus to the early United States English-speaking majority. And then the legend of a kindly old man was united with old Nordic folktales of a magician who punished naughty children and rewarded children with presents to form the popular pop culture that we know as Santa Claus. And it's so wild how this thing's changed, kind of went from honoring one man to this guy in a red suit. 
Like one person said, be careful because if you rearrange Santa, you get the word Satan. And they both wear a red suit. Now, I don't believe that. But if you do rearrange the name, you know, the letters, it does say that. But, you know, to me, I'm not bothered by Santa Claus. I'm not bothered by reindeer. You know, we're not going to go into the story of Rudolph, but if you turn on the TV, you can find the real story about him in that claymation cartoon. Maybe we'll have that tonight, Outback Plain. But in all reality, to me, these traditions make up Christmas. But for me there's an underlying something of why I celebrate Christmas and what I look at, you know, for gift giving and different things. You know, even though we have Christmas trees and, you know, different things like that and we decorate the inside of our house, a lot of homes have a manger in it too. And, you know, really in looking at the manger... It tells us what the true story that I look at as what is Christmas. And, and, you know, to me, I don't want to diminish Christ and his birth because that's really what I look at when I think of Christmas. I think of it more than just the hustle and bustle because, you know, even though this is a a, a jubilant time or a fun time. It can be a pressure time. Do you have all the gifts you need for people? Like, you know, some people are in a tough time and they can't get the gifts that they want to give and they feel pressure. And then I've got to go to relatives' homes and different people's houses and deal with different things. And then what should be a celebration can be a tough time. And, you know, to me, I think don't let that stuff bother you. Don't let this time that's supposed to be a good time uh, get you bogged down. And, and this is my personal opinion right here. I'm not bothered by a Christmas tree. You know, and I know there are some people say, well, the tradition and the roots of that, you know, aren't the best. But you know what? I don't worship my Christmas tree. But I sure enjoy all the memories I had growing up around you know, a Christmas tree and, you know, dinners together and going to these relatives and doing certain things leading up. I lived in Southern California and there was a whole neighborhood in the city called Chino uh, and um, they would block off, like, I mean, a big area and no cars could go into this, this big neighborhood and everybody literally but one home. And I always wondered why. But everybody else had elaborate lights and thousands of people would go there. And it was cool. I mean, I liked it, you know. It was just added to the whole Christmas time. So I don't, I'm not bothered by these traditions. I don't think they diminish Christ to me. But I want to know what this time is. I don't want it to be lost and people to not know what is behind what drives this time of year. And I think it's super important for believers to know, hey, if at this time of year and if at this date we celebrate the birth of Christ, is it another tradition? How profound is it and what makes it so profound? 
You know, is it the candy canes? Is it the North Pole? What makes it profound to us? And like I said, I'm not bothered by any of those things. But if you will, turn to Matthew, the first chapter, and we're going to look at a few things here before we go about the, the reason behind what we call Christmas. And, and this time of year is really a reflection and should be a time of reflection on just how profound what Christ did, who he is, and this time when he came to earth. Because it wasn't just folklore or tradition that was passed on. It, it was something uh, foretold thousands of years in advance by prophets who talked about a day when a star would appear in the sky and uh, would guide them. And, and it was a time where, you know, many of you have heard this song, you know, unto us a child is born, you know, and you hear it playing. That was written hundreds of years and spoken by a prophet that one day somebody would come to the earth and be born and the government would be upon his shoulder and they would call him wonderful and they would call him counselor and he'd be called the mighty God. And so the Christians or the Jews, I guess really at that time, knew that there was somebody coming. There would be one who would come and the Bible said there would be a sign, and it was written like 700 B.C., 700 years before what happened, the birth of Christ, there was a prophet who spoke and said a virgin will have a child and will give forth and give birth to who we would know as God in the flesh or the Christ. And so it's so interesting as you look at the birth of Christ during this time of year, it wasn't like he just showed up one day and said, here I am, follow me, I'm the Savior of the world, I'm God in flesh. But literally, Jeremiah described uh, a descendant of David, King David, who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, would be born and then he would sit on an eternal throne in Jeremiah. And he spoke this forth. It's so wild as you read, long before he ever came in the day we celebrate the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, there were prophets who would speak by divine inspiration. And would proclaim his star will come and show, you know, him and a virgin will conceive. And there are just so many different things. One, the Bible said this, the Lord says, Bethlehem, you might not be an important town in the nation of Judah. In other words, this little Bethlehem city, you're not, gonna, you're not much. People don't look at you as a big city as an important city, but he said his family line talks about, but out of you will come a ruler over Israel for me. 
and talks about how that God had destined this place called Bethlehem. And it's so interesting that these prophecies were written, the one about the star, 1,400 years before Christ came. Various ones that happened. It's so wild and so precise that even though we look at the birth of Christ, there was a census and that drove them to a certain place so they could be registered and Mary happened to have the baby in that town that was written of hundreds and hundreds of years before, documented that this prophet said, this is where this child will be born. And what is so wild is, is that there were magi that came and they saw the star that was prophesied before and they went, there's a Savior born and they went to this place. They go there and one of the, the, the ruler at the time found out that these guys were hunting for this uh, star that would point them to some new king that would rule the earth and this king's thinking, threat to me, I'm going to kill him. And, you know, I'm going to tell him I'm going to go worship and then I'm going to kill him. And uh, so he kind of undercover tells him, hey, when you guys go find the king, then give me news. So I can go worship him too because people were waiting. All these prophecies over all the years were pointing to some king, some savior of the world, a uh, God in the flesh, born of a virgin. All these things were written long before this story that we're about to read happened. And it's so wild, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, said this in about six, between 650 years and 580 years before Jesus came, he said this, and it was concerning that king who said, hey, I want to go worship him once he was born. And, you know, it played out, even though it was written years before, it says this in Jeremiah 31, 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. What happened was this king who said, hey, I want to go worship this new king that's coming on the earth. Tell me where he was born. You know, you, this prophecy about this star and tell me this. And what happened was before these magi could come back and tell after they had seen the king, uh, they were supposed to go back and tell this ruler, here's where he was at. His object was not, I'm going to go worship him, but I'm going to go kill him. Because I don't want a king threatening my rulership. And so right before these magi, after they had found this newborn king, were going to go back and tell this other king, earthly one, here's where he's at. An angel appeared and said, hey, don't go back, don't tell him, leave a different way because he's seeking to kill this new king. 
And what's so wild is, even though this natural thing was working out, so to speak, 2,000 years ago, it, and there's a ton of supernatural stuff helping, happening, it was written thousands of years before, I mean, and it's all meshing and happening right there, this, these magi are warned by an angel. I mean, this is all circulating around the birth of this person who we call the Christ, Jesus. And it's so wild because he was born in innocence, but really born to die. And um, not to immediately rule. And so what happened was, after the Magi went a different way, the, the king got infuriated and knew he had been tricked. And so where that prophecy about her children, in other words... These are these Jewish descendants, all these children of Rachel. I mean, this is all of them. Between a certain age, the, this ruler said, when did the star appear? And so he went between this time and this time. So he literally sent his soldiers and people out to kill every child in the land in that age frame. And that's why that prophecy about her weeping for all of her children that no longer exist. But what's so wild is God warned Jesus and told his father, get out of the land and go down to Egypt because this guy is not going to stop from trying to kill you. And literally all the kids that were born in this age frame were murdered trying to kill the Christ, the threat of a new king. And what's so wild is these things were written hundreds and thousands at times of years before, even though we hear often, you know, oh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was in a manger, you know, these wise men came to him, they said, hey, here's some gold, here's some frankincense, and here's some myrrh. And we go, cool, he got stuff. But in all reality, he got tons of riches that day. And they were there for a purpose because God knew they were going to have to flee to a foreign land and live. And they lived well off of that because it was a ton, really, of riches. And so what happened was God warns him, not only the Magi, but warns the father in a dream, get out, get to Egypt, he's not going to stop. This king is not going to stop from trying to kill the Christ. Isn't it so wild? The promise to the world of freedom from sin, forgiveness, no more guilt, where man had lost the, the life of God in, in the fall of man was going to be restored and you would think everybody would be celebrating, but there was a threat. And God said, get out and go to Egypt. So they took all this money, these riches that they got, and they headed out. Uh, in Hosea, 760 years prophesied 
these are such wild things. These are not just, you know, a man came, you know, was born of a virgin and, you know, lived here, went to Egypt, decided to come back and, you know, had this ministry and died. These things were written years and years and years. And even like with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah and different books that were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ ever came with these very prophecies are in it that foretold. These were not things that were written down like, oh, he went, he was born in Bethlehem. Let's write that down. He was born in Bethlehem. No, these are old documents that were preserved in some caves and different things hundreds and hundreds of years before, supernaturally by God. So we would know this birth is surrounded by the supernatural and surrounded by God and really is the hope of the world. And it's so wild, Hosea said this in Hosea 11.1. It said, when Israel was a child, I loved him, but then out of Egypt, I called my son. And it's so wild at the end of the story, uh, you know, Christ as a young man, when this king that was trying to kill him died, he had another visitation, the father, and said, the one who sought to kill you, your son is dead, you know, the Savior, the Christ. Now you can come back out of Egypt. And it's so wild that 700 and something years before that ever happened, before I ever went to Egypt. And I mean, there are wild things like this. How, how could you orchestrate this, you know, if you're Joseph? Man, search the scriptures. Um, what do we do now? We go to Egypt. It wasn't like that. These things foresaw it. And so what I want to do is I want to read this story here in Matthew and kind of go through the Bible and what it says about the real reason. Why I and why Christians celebrate the birth of Christ and we celebrate it. You know, the date is not sacred. The 25th is not sacred to me. I'm not bothered if it was in April or whatever. I, I don't think it matters. What I do think matters is he was born. That he lived and died and rose again. Whether it's the 23rd or the 6th or whatever day we should be celebrating. Or, you know, people having small wars about it. Why not enjoy what's going on during this time of year? Know that the backdrop for a believer is we believe in a supernatural God. A powerful God who came to dwell among us who was born supernaturally and then lived and died and we celebrate and honor him. And we don't just celebrate and honor him, we know him. We're not just talking about, you know, an argument of trying to tell people, get rid of your tree or it's okay to have a tree. But this, what I'm talking about is we know him. We know him. And if you like fruitcake, that's on you. But we know him. That sounded bad. But you could tell that does something to me. But I'm, I'm kidding. 
But there, you know, whether people like fruitcake or not, you know, during this time of year, okay. If, you, if it helps you to enjoy the time, more fruitcake to you. But for me, I want the underlying thing to be what I'm looking at during this time is it's about Christ. It's about the most important thing that will go on forever and ever. So Matthew, the first chapter, we're going to read one of the accounts of the birth of Christ and how these different things occurred. Matthew 1.18, how it's documented in the Bible. And there are references to different prophecies in here. But Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ is as follows. After his mother Mary would be betrothed, which is a word we don't use, but promised to Joseph before they came together. Now, just a side thought here. Mary and Joseph were of certain lineage that there were prophecies that said the Christ would be born through these lineages. That's why when you read one account, you know, when you're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find a certain lineage, and then the other one you'll find a different lineage because one is about Joseph, and one is about Mary, but they, they, how they were, those lineages were prophesied years and years before that a Savior would be born through this lineage. And it says here that they came, before they came together, which means before they consummated their marriage, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. In other words, supernaturally she had never been with a man she literally supernaturally conceived by the power of the spirit then joseph and and this is wild because joseph didn't even know what was going on then joseph her husband being a just man or a really good man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly isn't this so wild? We're talking about the birth of Christ, an ordained marriage that was from heaven. Before they even got together, they were facing stuff. Well, then this can't be God. This can't be God. But no, it was God, and God kept intervening to help them. But you think about it, he's like, how in the world my wife is a virgin? I know I haven't been with her, and she got a child. And at least he was honorable enough to go, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to embarrass her. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to put her away privately. That didn't mean, you know, what do you mean put her away? You could read into that, but meaning he just was like, okay, we're not going to get married. This is done. But what's so wild is God had plans. And he spoke to Joseph about this. He was going to put her away privately. Verse 20, 
But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, notice that lineage that the Christ would come through. Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Notice he said your wife and they weren't even married. And he said, listen, it's okay to move forward with this even when it wasn't seemingly working out good. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's doing something here. Just keep going down this path. And it said, And she shall bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, which literally means Savior, or the Lord is salvation. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That would be wild. We've read these stories probably so often, maybe that doesn't mean a lot. But meaning, here he gets this message, your son is going to be the savior of the world. Verse 22, so all that was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, uh, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. In other words, basically what happened was he followed through on the plan of God. There was a struggle there, but he said, listen, I know what God has said here we go. When it said he didn't know her, it literally meant he had not consummated the marriage until after the birth. So she was a virgin until the time the Christ was born. Now verse 1 of the second chapter, and we're going to read on about this real reason and how Christ came. Notice this. Verse 1, it said, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We call them the Magi. Saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. You know, they could read the stars, and certain stars that would align would tell them different things. And when certain stars aligned, they read into it that a king has been born. And it's so wild that that was prophesied before, but that the time of his birth, that these stars would align right at that time, so it would tell the, the world... There's a king born somewhere. Let's follow where that star has come and where it's pointing and go there to see the king. And it says, they saw this and they went and wanted to worship him. Verse 3 says, when Herod king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. So all the people were afraid. Uh-oh, we're getting a new king. And verse 4 said, And when he had gathered the chief priests, the scribes, and the people together, so these are the religious people who knew the Holy Scriptures and knew these different scrolls or what we would call books or what we would call today the Old Testament, they, they knew these prophecies existed. And so he said, where is this? In other words, he got these religious people. It would be like similar today. You know, you may have friends, say, that don't know the Lord, but have heard that before the Lord comes back, there would be some kind of Middle Eastern war. There would be some kind of destruction. And, and, you know, people could call you and ask you, hey, you know, this great war that happens right before this seven-year period, who are the names of the countries? And you would say, oh, it's like Turkey and Iran and Russia and... And they'd say, wait a minute, these names you're talking about are ones that are coming against Israel right now and backing this junk that's happening, which they've never been together backing it, but the junk has happened, but not like this. We would do it to know where we're at on a time schedule. This guy had enough sense because he had heard the rumblings in Jerusalem, so he got the religious leaders together and asked him, you know, about the scriptures, about these prophecies, some of them we read about, the supernatural birth, the real reason that we look at this time as a reminder of Christ's birth. And verse 4, it said, And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes, and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In other words, this, this supernatural God in the flesh, Savior of the world. Where, where was he born? This would take some audacity to go, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to, thinking in the back of his head, I'm going to kill this guy. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so they knew that his birth would be in Bethlehem. Now we know he's Jesus of Nazareth, but it was through the compulsion of a census he, that parents were driven there and he was born there. And so it's so wild that supernaturally they were searching the scriptures to figure out where, when, how is this going on? Verse 7, then, king, the, then Herod the king, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Now Bible scholars believe you know, he could have been a couple of years old almost, you know, or it could have been there for a while. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed 
And behold, the star which they, which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So, you know, they're searching and they are following astronomy, not astrology. They went and they, they found where this child was. I mean, you have to think, I don't know when, when you read these, if you read them like I do, but we look at this in a different way than maybe the parents would. You know, I mean, they know a Messiah is coming, then all of a sudden an angel's talking to Mary, angel's talking to Joseph, he's having a vision, a dream, just things are happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're in a, in a manger because there's no room because of the census in the inn. And they're in here and all of a sudden these magi, or we, they call them wise men, show up with these massive gifts. I mean, this must have been like a wow time. Well, their lives became a wow time. Look at verse 9. When they heard the king... They departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, they were thrilled. That sign was a confirmation to them. We found the king, the future king of the world, the Messiah, the Savior. And it says in verse 11, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. I mean, you think about it. They come in, there's a little kid there, and they fall down and worship him. They outside went, we have found the Savior of the world. Could you imagine you have a kid, you know there's a promise, and now there's other people recognizing this promise. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very obviously gold in itself valuable, but all these other gifts very valuable. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You know what's so interesting about some of this supernatural stuff? Some of this profound supernatural stuff wasn't happening every day. Even though we're reading it, you know, as, uh, you know, 30 minutes from start to finish or 40 minutes from start to finish will be done. We read all these angels, dreams, prophecies, and you read it, and it's almost like, wow, it just happened like that. 
Now we know the ones, the older ones, happened a long time before. But you think about it. A virgin conceives, uh uh-oh, I need to get her out of my life. Vision. Dream. Months later, because it takes nine months, another thing happened. These were not just all crammed in one thing. I mean, they were happening a few months later. You know, sometimes if people don't have something that, that's so, so supernatural happening to them every single day, they think something's wrong. Well, there weren't supernatural things happening to them every day. I mean, they had a supernatural thing, and then they had to get in a caravan and go up to Bethlehem and, you know, a pregnant woman riding on a donkey or whatever up to this other area. Not real supernatural. Pretty natural. Carrying out God's plan. It's all coming to pass. Supernatural promises and stuff that looks so natural. What if she had said, well, I haven't had a dream or a vision in a while. Yeah, it must not be so. But it was, and it was working its way out. We're going to finish right here. So they were divinely warned to leave and go another way. Verse 13. And when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek to destroy or the young child. Verse 14, And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Now, they didn't go down to the train station or the airport. I mean, this is a real journey across the desert with the Savior of the world. Couldn't this angel have just done something and gone like, you're there because you're the Savior. How many of you know, in between things, there's just work that has to be done. And so they left by night, and verse 15, and, and, were the, and they were there until the death of King Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son, which we looked at that verse, or that prophecy. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, He was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. So there had been some time passing and he's waiting and waiting for these guys to come back. You know, these magi. And this guy, when he realizes they're not coming back, He's like, I still got to do something about the king. And in it so wild, what he does to kill these children was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before. All this being about the birth of Christ. Then it goes on to tell the story and then uh, of the death and the, the prophecy. And then it talks about the prophecy of how Jesus was called out of Egypt. 
and how the parents actually feared because a relative of his was, they found out was going to be the king. And they went, oh, we've come out. And they went into this other area that happened to be prophesied years before, hundreds of years before. What, what is the real reason to me that we celebrate this time of year? And like I said, I'm not bothered. And I like Christmas trees, personally. And I, I like a lot of the traditions. I like Rudolph. I like Santa. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go there. But, you know, the, who hasn't watched one of these Christmas things, you know? What, what's the one that's more modern where the joy of Christmas people lost the Christmas tree? Oh, it's Elf. People are, ooh. Remember, people lost Christmas cheer and he had to get cheer back and, you know, and, and Santa and the elves and all this stuff. I mean, I don't fall out over that. I just enjoy it. I realize, hey, the reason why I'm celebrating, the Savior was born. Easter, we celebrate the time he suffered and died for all. To me, this is a, a time I can remember the one who saved my life from destruction was born this day. And not only saved me from destruction, saved me from an eternal destruction. Not just a temporary change where, man, I've got peace inside now I never had before and deliverance that I didn't know before, but now for eternity. And so... I think it's important for us to remember these things during this time.